0: Right. Going back to our Bible base, very scripturally, the Bible is very clear about loving a person, not necessarily the actions. Right. Most people break that down to uh, love the sinner, not the sin. And I'm not going to go that far because it's like that's that's not my place. Okay, but everybody has things that you don't like about them. Right. Uh, For all of your listeners who are listening on the podcast, I have a really long beard. And generally, a, a shaved head with a mohawk. I'm wearing a hat today, but generally, a shaved head with a mohawk. You may look at me. Go, I don't like that dude because it just—he looks weird. He looks scary. He rides a motorcycle. He's tattooed. You might not... That's fine. I tend to speed. I probably shouldn't say that on air. I tend to speed. Try and keep it reasonable. I tend to speed. Someone else may see that as a major issue, right? I'm not perfect. And so there's part of me that you might not agree with some of the actions I fall into. I had a falling out with a colleague over the fact that the language I use was inflammatory to her crowd because she works with a lot of survivors of abuse. I, I didn't know that the words I was saying would be offensive to some of her listeners, right? But that led into a falling out. It wasn't intentional. I made actions and... It had a bad fallout, right? So everybody has that thing. I I don't agree with certain preferences and choices. I don't hate people because of it. I don't judge people because of it. Morally, ethically, I believe it's wrong, but that's my choice. I don't treat anybody different because of it. You don't have the right to do that. We're, we're stepping outside of scripture at that point because scripture right. was very clear. God loved everybody, right? God loved the world. He wasn't happy with what everybody was doing. Yes, but he loved the world. It's not my job to treat people different because I don't like them, or because I don't like. Let me rephrase that: their actions. Right. That's that's not my say. I can love a person without loving what they do. And so, I think a lot of us would go a lot farther and be a lot more content if we started looking at each other with more love and say, well, you know, I'm going to disagree with X, Y, and Z, but it doesn't mean I'm going to treat you different. It doesn't mean I'm going to love you less. I can still love you. I can still care about you without approving of everything you're doing.
1: To overcome, you must educate educate not only yourself but educate anyone seeking to learn we are all dead America we can all learn something to learn we must challenge what we already understand the way we do that is through conversation sometimes we have conversations with others however Some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now.
2: Today we are with Brent Dowlin. He is the host of the Fallible Man podcast. Brent, could you please introduce yourself and let people know just a little more about you, please?
0: Sure. Thanks, Ed, for having me on. I'm Brent. As you said, I'm I'm the fallible man. I know I'm not perfect. I don't even pretend to be. What you see is what you get. And I'm on a journey. I'm a men's personal development and lifestyle coach and podcaster. And realistically, I'm a men's entrepreneur. I have a lot of mediums I'm working on. I I run a conference. We have other platforms besides the podcast. And I'm growing these to help serve and equip men to live their best lives. I'm the father of two incredible daughters, and I've been married for 21 years. An amazing woman.
2: That's awesome, Brent. Uh, marriage and family, it is what we are all about. And so many people have lost that aspect of life. And when you find that gift, it's truly amazing. So tell us what the fallible man is, first off.
0: Well, the fallible man is. Uh, I laugh at that question. Sorry, because its it's been a journey in its own, right? When I started yeah. it, I was writing a book and I decided, hey, if someone other than my wife and my mom are going to read this, I should like build an audience somehow. Found out how much I hate social media. That was a, just a was like, <laughs> oh, wow. Right. That was the first answer because answer, everybody got Insta famous, right? And so I realized I hated that. And so I fell back to something that was more comfortable, which is podcasting. I've, uh, I'm have i a former youth minister. I'm the son of a minister. I have been speaking in front of people since I was 11 years old. It's very comfortable for me. Uh, despite it being the number one fear in the world, it doesn't bother me at all. I'm very comfortable behind the microphone. Getting in front of a camera took a little getting used to, but it's been this journey. And where it started as a book, it's just grown into... Hey, I think this is a better platform because I looked around and I saw as a youth minister, I saw young men struggling with role models, with father figures as the fatherless number household numbers keeps growing up. I saw young women struggling with the emotional damage from dealing with boys who just didn't have father figures. Right. I also have. The count, I'm going to get this wrong, like seven nieces who are all now adults. And I've watched their relationships as they've looked and got involved with guys and struggled to find guys that were worth their salt. And a lot of it was just from the lack of role models in their lives. And so instead of trying to tackle something that I can try and talk to women, but right, it's probably not the best use of my time because women aren't as open to having a man tell them what to do. That's for sure. And that's understandable, right? They want female role models to help them. So, I decided to focus in on what I was good at, and that's working on myself. If I can make myself better by proxy, I make everybody around me's lives better. And so, as I started that journey, I thought, hey, I'm going to take men with me. I'm going to share this journey. I'm going to come alongside other guys, and we're going to help support each other and encourage each other. And I'm going to do everything I can to equip them with ideas and thoughts and new concepts that they can use because. Every man's different, right? What what's helpful to me might be helpful to you, but this other thing really might be more helpful for you, right? We're all very individual. So I just wanted to give as many opportunities for men to go, hey, you know what? That that piece of information will help me. I, for example, I I interviewed a hypnotherapist on my show. I didn't know that was a real thing. Like I thought that was like just bad periods. <laughs> I honestly had no idea that people actually did this. Now, after doing that interview, and meeting her, and she was amazing, I wish I had found her years ago because I struggled to quit smoking for like a decade before I finally managed to actually quit smoking. She's told me her clients wrap it up usually in two sessions. Wow. Like I didn't know that was possible. I wish somebody had told me that was an option. Yeah. So I just want to equip men with ideas, concepts, new practices, and help them develop those out so they can take that on in their own life, right? So they can start that journey and be equipped for it.
2: I see there's a real need to address this issue in our world. You know, we hear a lot about toxic masculinity. And one of my previous guests he simply said we don't have toxic masculinity it's it's a term that is thrown around and it describes traits of individuals and it's not all men because there are toxic men but masculinity in itself is not toxic and i think that's very important to understand Because we all have to grow up. You know, if I'm honest, I didn't grow up until I was in my mid 40s. And I'm still working on that. It's a work in progress every day. You're hit with new challenges. So when we discover who we are and we stand firm on that principle, I understand you are principled in Jesus, and that's a good foundation. We all struggle when we're young. You came from a minister's family. I can imagine that was probably difficult in itself. You know, we we tend to want to display rebellion at that age and here, our father is a minister. What's that like? <laughs> you know, really.
0: Well, uh, I would have to agree. As far as masculinity, masculinity being essential is a pivotal foundation uh, with the fallible man. I believe what we're seeing is actually the opposite. I seem, think we're seeing in the world a lack of masculinity as more and more men have been encouraged to embrace their feminine side. We've lost some of those traits, and I agree, 100 traits that help us be the men we're supposed to be. Right. So I think you were definitely on the right path with that one and your guests as well. <laughs> Growing up in the preacher's household was interesting. Uh, my father was a mission supported preacher, meaning we didn't go to like these mega churches or something like that. We were usually at small congregations below a hundred people, sometimes down to like 15 or 20 where there was uh, the minister who was there before us might have passed away or left, or there was this big split in the congregation. And my father is what you would call a transition minister. He would help that congregation work through the process of regaining their own health as a congregation so that the next minister wouldn't live in the shadow of whoever used to be there. Because you always it's like, well, Bob always did this. We, I'm not Bob, yeah. right? Uh, yep. Statistically, the next minister, especially after a long-term minister, only lasts a couple of years because you huh. just can't get out of the shadow of somebody else. And so we were at these very small congregations where we were expected to be front and present because there weren't always a lot of men to lead there. So we are frequently, like I said, I I started speaking at 11 years old. I started leading worship at 11 years old. Um, I started, I was volunteering and helping my mom teach children's classes my whole life. And so you definitely grow up in a different kind of sense, but it's degrees of it. Because a small congregation, you're very visible. And Mm -hmm. I never wanted, and I definitely hit that rebellious streak for sure. I never wanted it to pull back my parents because my parents are amazing. Uh, my father and mother lived with us last year and a half of my dad's life. My mom still lives with us at this point. And I had amazing parents. They loved us. They cared for us. They were, I mean, ideal. Were they perfect? Probably not. But to me, they're pretty stinking close, right? We were loved unquestionably. We were shown what that looks like. My parents loved each other. Even their faults, we could see when they disagreed on stuff, but they always came to a good resolution. They were always together. They always had each other's back. And so we. I had this really great household growing up. I'm still very close with my siblings, but I was also very conscientious of I didn't want my choices to blow back on my parents because despite their parenting, I still made some typical teenage choices, right? So. I got really good at living a double life for several years, which definitely caused some problems for me later on. I got used to living as two very different people sometimes. And so it definitely, it it gets exciting because a congregation is unfamiliar and I hate to bad, I don't want to bad mouth church. Congregations are unforgiving when it comes to their staff members. Uh, to, to a point where I've, I've been friends with several ministers since I left ministry. And I was kind of that, let's go have coffee, because I can see you're struggling. Because they couldn't hide it from me, because I know the life. And so we would sit and have coffee and visit. And I could be that sounding board for them, because I understood their world. They live very publicly, everything they do is scrutinized, everything is combed over with a fine tooth comb. And so it definitely made impressions and definitely shaped the way I do things. I also ended up with a divide from typical organized religion. I understand why men are generally turned off by organized religion. That's one of the reasons The Fallible Man is not a religious podcast. It is not a religious-based organization. If my guests talk about God, we talk about God. I'm very open about my faith if it applies to what we're talking about. I don't hide it. I don't pretend I'm not. I'm very proud to be a Christian. and. I'm very open about my faith, but if it applies to the situation, I bring it up, but it's not a religious based podcast because I don't want to shut down men. And there are some men who just had experiences with the church where that's automatically turn off at least 50% of my audit audience. Statistically, the minute I slap church or religion in connection with my show. So because I've struggled with that when I was younger, uh, there was a point even after I had been in ministry where I struggle with the idea that based on my experiences in the church, that God would ever love me or accept me because I just wasn't that good of a man. I wasn't that good of a person. I made bad choices. I had thoughts that I didn't see how God could square with based on what I was taught in Bible school. I struggled with being hyper aggressive and listening to the church. Tell me, Oh no, turn the other cheek. You you shouldn't you can't get angry you can't fight you can't be and we've throttled men down to where they're just a lot of them are done with organized religion yeah we we've tried to unfortunately feminize church
2: yeah that's a good way to put that uh you know brent we often find that men shy away from church but i'm i'm seeing a comeback and it's because of people like us open and willing to say, hey, it's okay, man. Believe me, I'll take a hit, but I love Jesus and it's okay. I, I don't I don't judge people. And this is where we lost control, a lot of it. Those those individuals that judged others, even though it tells you, judge not lest ye be judged. And that's very important. And this is why podcasting is very important bringing up topics of taboo and being able to just talk without the hatred or the need to be on top of one another. Because we as men, we need to be able to show the young men how to be proper, and in our world for several years now, we've lost that. We've lost the ability to be role models. We've been men, but in a toxic form, as Mm -hmm. we spoke about, and it takes real men to actually step up and say, you don't have to do that you know, there's, there's a kindness in a true man, even though we have to be stern, we have to be that tough individual for our family and our community, because it starts there. But if you don't have the sense of humility and are able to humble yourself and say, it's okay to cry. I've cried many times and i'm not ashamed of crying it shows that i care and i think that's a true aspect of a true man it's not how tough you are you know it really isn't it's what you do and how you present yourself what role model you want to be for the world because everybody they are watching and especially the little ones, this is where it's more important because a lot of individuals our age, we're already stuck in our ways and it's hard to break that shell, but it can be broken. What are some of the things that we can do, Brent, to help men break that tough shell and let them know it's okay to be who you truly are? Because we're not always tough.
0: Well, one is, is true strength breeds humility. I was blessed to be around a lot of special operators uh, in my brief time in the military. And I mean, <laughs> the big baddies, right? The the guys like you, uh, right? Our listeners are pro- m- might be familiar with Jocko Willink and some of the other guys who have gone to podcasting and do shows like that. I was around men like that all the time. Truly terrifying men and their capability. Most of them are as gentle as can be, and you watch them when they're kids; they're even this great. It's like this: everybody's terrified of you, but you are a big baby. Um, <laughs> but men who are truly confident, as uh, Jordan Peterson says, dangerous men. Right, strong men it breeds humility they don't have the need to go around and prove themselves they don't have the need to try and force their will or their ideas they're secure enough in who they are they turn around and go okay well you don't agree with me that's fine you know good luck man i i don't need you to agree with me i don't need you to think right. i'm right i don't need you to approve of what i'm doing i am confident in who i am i'm secure in who i am right that is strength i don't know if you're a tv guy i love the witcher series and at one point in the show without any great spoilers this witch, the witcher who is just this like ba kind of character is puts himself down and this queen is like anybody who can afford to disgrace themselves in front of this crowd (laughs) ought to be a lot more interesting than because he plays himself down to avoid a major incident and the response is just, he doesn't have to prove anything to any of these guys. He's like, uh, it's just not worth this giant fight that's going to ensue if I continue on this line. So he threw himself under the bus, got real humble, and right everybody just kind of laughed because they knew. any Anybody in that room knew. And it's the same thing. Men who are strong, men who are secure in their masculinity and their person, who they are, you can afford to be humble. You can afford to walk away from the moments that you don't really need to engage in. Because you are who you are. So building that physical and mental strength. And I, I lump physical into that. Because building the physical strength, taking care of yourself health wise, will make you more emotionally and mentally secure and strong. There's a direct correlation for men. We have this in our head that we are meant to be physical and strong and capable. You don't have to be a bodybuilder. By all means, please don't. There, there, there are not a lot of healthy bodybuilders. But take care of yeah. yourself physically. Be able to keep up and play with your kids. Be able to get out and be active. Go shoot basketball with your friends or whatever. But be physically capable because it feeds your mind. It feeds your emotional base because it makes you more secure in who you are. So build up that body and then build up your mind and your emotional base. If you build, develop that strength, you become bulletproof. I've, I've been called a lot of things over the years. I don't care. It just doesn't bother me. I'm not perfect at anything, but I'm, I'm my biggest fan. I, I, I said that one day and someone laughed at me. They're like, you were so weird. Like, No, I am my biggest fan. Like I have almost an unhealthy dose of ego and it's not because I think I'm gr- like better than everybody else's. I just really like me. And so when someone disagrees with me, I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine, man. We can, we can have a respectful conversation and we can disagree. I think that's a dying art where we respect each other and just have open, honest conversations and go, okay, well, you know, we're not going to agree on this, but I respect you. That's cool. You're, you can have your opinion. I don't hate you because you have a different opinion than me. I don't understand how we move to a point where if you disagree with me, you must be wrong or evil. That's, that's yeah. just such a weird flex in society for people to yeah. not really yeah. to flex. It's, it's like a showing your hand of how insecure you are. Yes. But as you build that security of yourself, right. With that physical and just emotional and mental strength, we can disagree. We can go our separate ways. I can walk away. If someone insults me, I don't care, man. I've been called everything under the sun. I've been in the military. I worked in construction for years I have to work on keeping my language clean because it's just so inherent for me to not keep my language clean. I try and be respectful of other people's feelings about it, right? And I don't want my daughters to pick up that language necessarily all the time. But I've been called everything, and it, it just never led to me to a fight. I've never been had someone actually goad me into a fight because they insulted me because I don't care. I don't need validation from that person. So. Yeah. In the fallible man, we're we're trying to build men from the ground up. I was I'm told I, I go too broad, like I'm not niche enough on stuff. And it's like, no, every man is, is is a whole. We we can't. I'm not going to pick it one piece. You can't be a better dad without becoming a better man. You can't be a better role model without being a better man or a better husband. It's not separate. We're complex individuals. And so I come at it from a lot of angles. Like we were talking about, I bring a lot of different experts in different fields, because what works for me isn't necessarily going to work for you.
2: That's right.
0: You have different mental, emotional, physical needs than I do. Now, working with me one-on-one, I can get really deep into that. But on the podcast platform, my blog, I try and keep it where everybody can take a piece away. And this this show may not be the show that really rings the bell for you, but this one might. And this guest right. money, right? So people say, oh, it's too broad at the fallible man. Well, if we were all cookie cutters, that that'd be fine. But we're not all yeah. robots. We don't all think the same. I mean, that's very apparent these days. So we focus on providing solutions, options, opportunities to arm you with your toolbox, to fill that toolbox with anything and everything you can Because what worked for me this year may not work for me next year or the year after that. That's right. As life changes, as life grows, you need more and more tools in your toolbox to combat whatever change you're dealing with. Right? The guy who's 23 doesn't have the same concern as the guy who's 55. I used to get in this fight at the church I worked at when I was working as a youth minister. Because I had parents who were like, "Well, my fifth grader is mature." It's like that's fine. They're not coming to the teen class, because my twelfth graders are not dealing with the same issues as your fifth grader. I don't care how mature your fifth grader is. Could they learn Bible at the level I was teaching? Absolutely. Can they reconcile with the, you know, seventeen and eight year olds who are about seventeen and eighteen year olds who are about to step into college or the military? No they didn't face the same pressures they didn't have the same problems and so i i do i have this broad approach at making men better i want to arm you arm you arm you because until we sit down and have that conversation face to face if we come to that point in like coaching or something i don't know exactly what's happening in your life i don't know exactly your situation i don't know exactly your needs so until then, here we go. Let's let's give you this and this and this. Let me give you yes. this therapist over here who specializes in elite men's coaching. I had a coach on about mindset coaching. I've had several of those. I've had a guy who came in and talked about living with gratitude because living with gratitude changes your life. I've had porn right. addiction counselors on. I've had a alcohol and drug addiction counselor on. I've had... Guys who talk about, I have one dude who talks about morning routines, just mastering your morning routine. Yeah. So at least your day starts right. That's right. Like, I'm I'm big in into part. incremental improvement and stacking wins. So if you can stack those wins in the first several things, then you're building momentum into your day. And yeah. so his whole thing is he wrote a whole book on morning routines. It's a great conversation. I never would have thought of that. That's not something I was ever exposed to until I met this guy and was like, okay, you know what, I do that I actually do that subconsciously. Now, right. if I think about it, intentionally, maybe I can fine tune that maybe I can tweak that and make it more effective in my life. Yeah. Right. So lots right. of ideas, lots of game changing ideas is based on what you need.
2: Well, that's, that's what life is, Brent. It's always changing. And I, I was, they tried to put me in that box, you know, you have to niche down. Life is my niche. People are my niche. And I, I taught myself as a unity program, because converse, just conversations change lives. And if like you just stated, if you don't like this show, this show might really touch your life in some way, and that's what I do this for. I'm learning with an open heart to whatever people are bringing to me i've I've talked to people, you know, about things that people laugh at, but it's serious. To the individual speaking what they are speaking. And that's where I want to be. I want to be in their world at that moment. And this is why I liked you when you came across my desk. It's like, yeah, I, I like this because he's not afraid to speak truth, open and honest. And you've got a wide range of people. One of the best things I like is your code you've got our code on your website and if more people would live by a code it doesn't have to be your code but it has to be the man's code and live by that and if we really build what our code means to us that's our foundation And if our foundation is solid and we know it from day one, this is what I'm going to be. This is who I am, no matter who I speak with. That tells a lot of people who you truly are. And I've found out that if I open up to people and stop judging people, I used to really have a grudge about homosexuality because of some past things in my life that happened to me. So I closed off to those individuals and I did not understand why people would want to do that. Now I'm more open to who the individual are, who the individual is, because I recognize in life, there's stages and we go through stages and these stages we learn, and we don't advance to the next stage of life until we've really covered the first stage of life. It's like crawling to walking. Now I'm open to speaking, not because I'm afraid, but I want to know the world that I live in. And why do you think this way? I don't have to agree. But I'm definitely curious, why do you think this way? This is what will change the world. Conversation and podcasting, vlogging, blogging. It's finding the ability to speak how you feel without argument. That's truly a relieving aspect of life when we find out how to not argue in a conversation but just let the conversation happen. What's your experience with that?
0: I think, you know, very, right. Going back to our Bible base, very scripturally, the Bible is very clear about loving a person, not necessarily the actions, right? Most people break that down to uh, love the sinner, not the sin. And I'm not going to go that far because it's like, that's, that's not my place. Okay. But. Everybody has things that you don't like about them, right? Uh, for all of your listeners who are listening on the podcast, I have a really long beard and generally a, a shaved head with a mohawk. I'm wearing a hat today, but generally a shaved head with a mohawk. You may look at me, go, I don't like that dude. because it just he looks weird. He looks scary. He rides a motorcycle. He's tattooed. You might not... That's fine. I tend to speed. I probably shouldn't say that on air. I tend to speed. Try and keep it reasonable. I tend to speed. Someone else may see that as a major issue, right? I'm not perfect. And so there's part of me that you might not agree with some of the actions I fall into. I had a falling out with a colleague over the fact that the language I use was inflammatory to her crowd. Because she works with a lot of survivors of abuse. I I didn't know that the words I was saying would be offensive to some of her listeners, right? But that led into a falling out. It wasn't intentional. I made actions and it, it had a bad fallout, right? So everybody has that thing. I, I don't agree with certain preferences and choices. I don't hate people because of it. I don't judge people because of it. Morally, ethically, I believe it's wrong. But that's my choice. I don't treat anybody different because of it. You don't have the right to do that. We're we're stepping outside of scripture at that point because scripture right. was very clear. God loved everybody, right? God loved the world. He wasn't happy with what everybody was doing. Yes. But he loved the world. It's not my job to treat people different because I don't like them or because I don't like, let me rephrase that, their actions.
2: Right.
0: That's not my say. I can love a person without loving what they do. And so I think a lot of us would go a lot farther and be a lot more content if we started looking at each other with more love and say, well, you know, I'm going to disagree with X, Y, and Z. But it doesn't mean I'm going to treat you different. It doesn't mean I'm going to love you less. I can still love you. I can still care about you. Without approving of everything you're doing. You may not approve of the fact that I enjoy a good cigar. Like I love to sit down. That's my relaxation. I sit down, I have a fire pit in my backyard, build a nice fire, kick my feet up, smoke a cigar, drink suburban. That that's my downtime. That in a book, I'm set. Right. That, that's just like, woo, for me. Some people are not okay with any kind of smoking products. Some people are not okay with alcohol. I respect that. I don't go to my friend's house who is a recovering alcoholic and drink. And right? It's it's cognizant of his needs and concerns, of his well-being. And so we don't talk about booze or drink together. I have other friends like we we were talking the other night playing games and debating which bourbon is better because all of us <laughs> like bourbon, right? So you can hate what I'm doing, but it doesn't mean you have to hate me. You cannot agree right. with what I'm doing, but you don't have to hate me. And I think if we start looking at judging actions, but seeing the heart of people, we'll have a lot better standing with each other at this point. Yeah. My heart and generally your actions come out of your heart. So you have to be careful with that too, but you can mm-hmm. go, you know what? I'm. For me, it's not better to spend time with you. That isn't improving my life. It's not that you're a bad person. It doesn't align with my purpose, my intention, and where my life is going. Right. And you can only have so many relationships. Yes. And actually tend that relationship. So you choose who you surround yourself with. Not because people are bad, but because you need to be choosing who lifts you up in your life and who encourages you. That's who you right. bring along, right? I'm not concerned with what you're doing. I'm concerned with this being connected with you, make me a better person. Does it inspire me to work harder, to improve myself, to grow as a person, to be a better husband, a better father? When I look at who is around me, it matters how they impact my life. If you pull me down, you probably won't stay in my life very long. But that's so if we start concerning ourselves with who we surround ourselves with based on what they add to our lives and what we add to their lives Uh, i think is a better level
2: that's the key right there brent it's power you know what you just outlined right there surrounding yourself with the people you need around you those people that are going to lift you up and benefit you not because you want to take advantage of them it's because you truly care about each other this is my family and and there's reference to that in the Bible but another thing I always take it to the cross the some of the last things Jesus said was forgive them father for they know not what they do I've Understood that for so long, and it changes who I am. Just that simple. Wow, he's sitting there, uh, pierced to the cross, and he's saying, "Forgive them; they know not what they do." That's powerful because we don't. We when we're bound up in all of this filth and uh, unrecognizable stuff about our own self it's because we know not what we do. And taking it back to what you just said, surrounding ourselves with the proper people, they'll put you in check. And that's important to be able to have my wife, bless her soul. She puts me in check when I need to be put in check. But I return the favor also. So that's important. And that when you find that harmony you can sustain anything especially marriage i i've been with my wife for 40 years and wow we really- love each other yeah we got married in 1985 we got together in 1983 it, it's like it fascinates me still to this day that i'm still doing this but it's the power of our belief system and if it wasn't for her solid faith in Christ and her commitment we wouldn't be together uh, it's just fact and i often say thank you for that and i build my relationship daily with my wife because it's one of the most important things on the planet. That's where your connection starts. And then it bleeds out from there. So if you have a good harmonious relationship with your wife, life gets good. What's your experience
0: with that? Before I answer that, can I just go back? I love your example for one second here. Sure. To Jesus on the cross. That is the the prime example. Okay, take the whole... I love it. He's the son of God part aside. That is the prime mm-hmm. example of a man who is secure and aligned with his purpose, right? That goes back to that strength we talked about. When you understand who you are, what you are, what you need to be, what your purpose is, it allows you the strength to go, that's okay i'm I'm doing what I need to do. That's, that's okay. Right. You do what you need to do. I mean, it's it's the ultimate power play right there. And, and I, that's not why you did that. But in my mind, right, that's the ultimate power play is like, that's fine. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm following my purpose. And you need me to be here. So it's okay. I'm not going to hold this against you. I'm not going to. I'm I'm where I need to be. I'm aligned with who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. Sorry, that's, I love, uh, that's just such an amazing example.
2: No, that's powerful. I love it.
0: Um, my wife and I have been together now, officially 21 years we've been married. We got married in 2001. Congratulations. Uh, that relationship started three years before that as a friendship. And I would not be who I am today or where I am today without her. Uh, I I was laughing about it the other day with someone like there is no great reason why my wife and I work together but we do we just work yeah. we're so opposite on some things that it's like <laughs> how do we survive this and credit where credit is due has largely has to do with my wife because I am not easy to live with but we we work we complete each other right people make the mistake, I think sometimes of getting involved in relationships with people who are exactly like them. That doesn't work. Right? You don't lose who you are when you get married. They don't lose who they are. This whole, we are two people becoming one that that's true, but you're still two people too. And you're two individuals coming together to make something bigger, stronger, better but you're still two separate individuals, right? So if you marry someone exactly like you, if you get involved with people who are exactly like you, what are they bringing to the table? Do they do they balance you? Do they level you out? Do they... I, I dated women who were like me before my wife, and that's like throwing a match in gasoline.
2: Uh, that's right.
0: We have some amazing adventures, and I made a lot of big mistakes, and like it, but it was... Pyrotechnics. When when we were good, it was great. When we were bad, it was an MM song. It's it was crazy, <laughs> right? My wife was not necessarily quote unquote my type. I knew that from the time I met her. She was better than my type. She was different than my normal type. And it mystified me. Like I was in awe because. It was like finding a unicorn. It was this amazing person who is captivating and unique and different. And unlike anything I had known, we had a conversation long, long before there was anything more than just a casual conversation. We had a casual conversation. We were at a church retreat actually when uh, we were both teenagers. And I walked away from that conversation and I thought, Dallin, if you don't marry that woman, you're stupid. <laughs> I I was yeah seventeen or eighteen. It's like if if you don't marry her, you're stupid. That that's God put it right in your lap right there. And it was three years later as we became better friends, as we opened up those lines of communication. Mainly on her part, she's much better at writing because we had to do that. You know, I'm old enough that we didn't have cell phones. <gasps> Right. There's some people yeah. listening right now who can't even imagine that. What? <laughs> bills. Oh, I spent a lot of money on long distance bills because I was better at phone calls yeah. than writing. But our relationship grew as a friendship for years. And it really wasn't till a little before I actually asked her to marry me that it was obvious to everyone. Well, let me phrase that. There were probably some people on the outside going, Yeah, this is gonna happen. It wasn't obvious to us that this was the step we were moving in until one day I went, Okay, I'm there. Like we weren't officially dating. We lived on opposite sides of the country. Our relationship was hundred percent long distance. Oh, wow. And I hit a point in my life and I now is the time, now is the moment. I'm all in. And we don't always see eye to eye. 21 years or 23 and a half years later, we don't always see eye to eye. We don't always agree. We argue, we fight. And there isn't anyone else I want to be with. She makes me better. She inspires me to be better. She is the love of my life. She's helped me become a better man. I hope and pray I've helped her become a better woman. We have two amazing children together who every time they do something, both of us are like, she's your child because you can see the traits for both of just so obvious it's like oh no that was all you right yeah. but because i mean and we absolutely see i eye to eye. like we love some of the same movies and some of the same interests but we are polar offsets on some other things and that has well sometimes that causes some surface tension and the back end it always makes us stronger
2: yes yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that, because I I find it very important to be able to understand how to navigate an argument with your spouse. Me and my wife, or my wife and I, excuse me, we can go through some ringers, but when it boils down, we're always back on the same page. there are some things that I like to use. Like if we're going to argue, we're going to argue until it's finished. I, I'm the one I'll stay up all night long and still do tomorrow just fine. But what's important right now is fixing what's going on right here. Let's lock ourselves in the bathroom wherever. And we're going to hash this out. I. Find that I I don't like to go to bed mad at my spouse what are some of the things that help you
0: well we've had a couple hard fast rules that we've kept from day one and one is we don't have a television in our bedroom Mm -hmm. that's that's never ever been a thing and never will be we also don't fight in our bedroom like our, our bedroom is sanctuary it's you know, it's not always clean, it's not always, you know, it's where we throw everything when people come over, you know, so there's piles that it's, it's off limits for fighting, it's off limits for, you know, and, and there are days we go to bed mad. But, because if we had pushed through, it would have caused more problems. Uh, my wife and I actually like to go to, we we go to marriage classes and stuff, any chance we get. We, we love to go to like marriage seminars and marriage classes. We try and do at least one a year, if not more than that. And sometimes we go, yep, we've heard it all. And other times we go, that's a new idea. And other times we sit and look at all the other couples and wonder if uh, whoever's putting on the class is going to pay for marriage counseling for everybody after for all the fights they just started. <laughs> like the last one we were in, but several years ago, we went through one. Uh, by dr les and leslie Parrott, and they actually have a book called fight night or it's actually an event it's a simulcast event they do with a book and they're both counselors they're both like psychiatrists and stuff and it changed the way we fight a little bit from a personal standpoint because it made me realize some things that i probably knew but i hadn't really focused on if you go into the fight with the intent to win, you're both going to lose. <laughs> if if one of yeah. you wins the argument, you, you lost. You both lost. If you both go into the fight trying to win, you're not going to get anywhere. If you both go into the fight with a plan already, or with an ideal already, you can walk away from it and regroup and come back and bring it down a notch and start to see it from that person's perspective. And that's one of the things they teach there is they have a set time. Like the way they talk about doing it, like they have a set time. They'll, They'll get into a fight. They have 20 minutes. They go their separate ways. They both journal some of their feelings and thoughts about it. And in 20 minutes, no matter where they are, they come back to it. But taking that time out helps. And so while we haven't implemented that strength to that level, we're our fighting changed. I I back down a lot quicker now. Not necessarily because I think I'm wrong, but I know that we're not achieving anything positive. Right. That's right. I I may not be wrong from my perspective, but my approach is dead wrong. Right. I moved to the point where I look at it and go. I'm not helping the situation. I'm not making it better. I'm not resolving it. I'm certainly not understanding her perspective on it right now because I'm focused on my perspective of it. There is no win for this. And for me, a win is not I got my way. A win is we're both in a good place and everything's harmonious again. So changing your perspective in the way you interact with your spouse, especially in those times, the fights, the intense times like that, has helped me grow a lot as a person it's helped our marriage as because i I definitely was a hot head um i'm I get in an argument with somebody else we 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 fighting it out <laughs> uh, I don't back down from those fights, but I know it's constructive for me to stow it now I don't always do this perfect. Let me be very clear because my wife will hear this I don't always do it perfect so <laughs> why I'm the fallible man we We've made this real clear. I, I don't right. pretend I've got all the answers. I'm trying. And sometimes my temper gets the better of me and I don't think or slow down enough and duck out the way I should. And when I say duck out, I'm not running away from the fight. It's de-escalating the situation and walking away till we can have a better conversation on it.
2: Yeah.
0: that is That is the go-to move is the minute we start escalating this way, I'm already losing. It's kind of like arguing with a child. The minute you start yeah. arguing with a toddler, you lost it, It's over. You, you've lost. If you're arguing with a toddler as a parent, you lost. That's, that's just that one. Let's call it what it is. If you go into it and start having to escalate in your communication with your spouse, you're both losing. Now yeah. I, I understand there's going to be disagreements. People tell me, it's like, well, you can't not fight. Yeah, no, we tried that. That, that was early in the marriage that, almost destroyed the marriage we tried not fighting which translates to not communicating right that's right the only way you don't fight in a marriage is you don't talk <laughs> that's the simple version no communication equals no fighting so we tried that that didn't work well in our marriage early on we moved past that now it's yeah we disagree we don't see eye to eye We definitely have differences of opinions. Like I said, we're two very different people in a lot of aspects. But now I look at it, if it starts to escalate, it's my fault. Whether it is or not, it's my fault. I'm escalating this. I'm allowing this to escalate because I'm not communicating right. I'm not talking to her the way I should. I'm not taking the time to see it from her perspective. I have the ability to keep this from escalating if I slow down my reaction and change my perspective. And so now whenever we start to go there, that's, that's my first, I did this. I screwed this up. Right. If you can change that perspective and own it. I love Jocko Willink's book on extreme ownership. It was a yes concept I already kind of lived by. I just hadn't put it into words. And I read that, I don't know, back in before 2000. Uh, And I was like, yes, somebody actually put this into words. I look at everything that way. If if at all possible, if I can slow myself down, every situation is, it's my responsibility. It's my fault. I can make this happen one way or another. And choosing to let it happen this way is a failure on my part. So now I go into every discussion with my wife like that. When we start to escalate, it's like, I did this bad. I, I got impatient. um and usually that's what it is is i I got impatient and tried to force it before my wife was ready to talk about it because that's a think, big key. we We think at different speeds. You know those personality, uh, the personality profiles. i I'm a really quick thinker. my My brain processes a million miles a minute. i I can see the majority of the angles in in seconds my wife she's a slow thinker highly intelligent but a slow thinker she wants to process it she wants to reflect on it she wants to take time to weigh it and consider it and so <laughs> my personality gets you know the little chihuahua thing going yeah! <laughs> my wife is like take a breath let's let's slow this down and it's usually yeah. me getting impatient right yeah. i start roaring and stomping around and She wants a minute to breathe and process. I already thought of this idea, right? I brought it up. So obviously I've been thinking about it. She's just got caught off guard entirely. And so it's my fault. It's I got impatient and brought it the wrong way without allowing her the space to do this. Now, does Sarah do everything perfect? No, but I can't control her. My wife is her own individual person. She's beautiful and brilliant, and she thinks her way and has her personality. And I wouldn't change any of that for the world. What I can control, because I, I can hear the guys now being like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I hear guys all the time. Oh, he's a he's a simp. Well, whatever that language is these days, I, I hate it. <laughs> so dumb. Yeah, our our mastery of the English language is lowering. But it's not that it's. What do I control? I control me. That's it. Pure and simple it. If you totally control your wife, the balance in your marriage is off. If your wife yes. isn't her own person, the balance in your marriage is off. I don't control Sarah. So, yeah, I is every fight my fault? Not necessarily. The majority of them probably. But... If I don't take ownership of it, even if it's not my fault, what can I control in that situation? It's me. What can I do for our marriage? I can take care of me. I can't change what she's doing. I can change what I'm doing for the benefit of our marriage. I can change my approach.
2: Yeah, that's very powerful. You know, taking ownership, that's number one. Being truthful, especially with yourself because that's where it matters first. Those are very key components in having a balanced life. And when you do that, take ownership and know the value of truth, life gets pretty darn good because you you skip the drama. Because if you're not truthful, there's always drama. And', and we're if, if we drama these days <laughs> yeah, if, if we can control that drama in our lives, it it really is worth living. I, I asked for assisted suicide. I was so checked out that I found life just not even worth it anymore. When you're that far gone, it's. It's incredible that you can find your way back. I'm not always 100. I'm a fallible man. I, I'm imperfect, but trying to be perfect—it's one of my goals. I know I probably will never be able to achieve this because we don't even recognize what perfect is. we're we're skewed in that aspect. What are some of the things that we can do to ensure that truthful transition in life? Because a lot of us are living a lie still. And before we can transition into a new hope, a new beginning, we have to have that truthful transition. What's some of the ways that brought that truthful aspect into your life.
0: That's always complicated, right? Because we are such individual characters for me. Truth has always come the hard way because I I am a hard headed man. (laughs) I'm very stuck in my ways. Uh, God, God changed the direction of my life a couple times, and had to use bricks to the head to get my attention. I have the scars to prove it. And yeah, it's it's generally very been very dramatic for me because I am very hard headed about it. Part of it, I think, honestly, was having. I, I don't want to call anything a midlife crisis because that's not accurate. I made a discovery at forty that I got an email from my company that I work for uh, about my 401k, right? And it had a link to go check my 401k. I thought, hey, I've never actually looked at one of those. I I should check that out, right? So I go to and set up this account so I can access my 401k and see what they're doing with it. Turns out I had another 401k from an old company that had rolled over into the same uh, holding house or whatever. You, what are those groups are those investment holders? I don't know. What through the same firm, right? And so when I got into that one, I could see both of them. What I found out was I had been in this company for six years already. And the 401k from my other company had rolled into this investment holding, right? It set for six years invested in money fund. Now, for all of our listeners who aren't familiar, a money fund is simply something that's basically a dollar for dollar amount that doesn't sit on the market. It doesn't, it's safe. Your money is safe there. It's not going to move up. It's it's really not going to move down either. It's just going to sit. No interest, no, well, I think there's like 0.001% it is so, so minute there is no. So it's been sitting in this fund for six years doing nothing for me because I didn't know that I had to go do something with it when it rolled over. It's like, oh, I I was supposed to go log into this and then reinvest it somehow. What do I know about investing? I, I, I didn't know this is how it even worked. Like, honestly, a 401k was just one of those things they rambled off in an interview at that point in my life. And I'm 40 years old, right? I didn't understand any of it. And that gave me this gut check moment when I realized I had thousands of dollars sitting here doing nothing. It's like, I didn't know I was supposed to do anything. Well, What else don't I know? So I started really digging into what don't I know about money? Turns out I don't know a lot about money. Like (laughs) my financial IQ was in the negatives. Like, it was my paycheck. I, I saw my paycheck. That's it.
2: And yeah,
0: and all of a sudden, it's like, wait, I didn't know this has been sitting here. Like, basically, it's still there. Yeah, the whole amount's still there. But it's been doing nothing when all this time it could have been sitting in, in something like an index fund or some kind of thing, making some money, right? At least interest or something. And so it plunged me into this. Well, what else don't I know at 40? I'm, I'm 40 years old. I don't think that's specifically or specifically old, but it's like, okay, you know, I've been through life a little bit now. What don't I know that I need to know? I mean, if I don't know this about money and money's pretty important, right? What else don't I know? And so I spent a year like just deep diving on money. I'm pretty good at running my investments and stuff at this point, but I spent a year just deep diving all the things I didn't know about money. And that included making money. I had no idea there were different kinds of income, right? this this just plunged me into this deep dive of what don't I know? It started with money, but then it started branching into the rest of my life. And I started looking at other ways to make money, right? Different kinds of income, residual income, investment income, uh, royalty income, right? Things like that. It's like, there are all these other kinds of income. And here I am punching the clock doing this. And I hate this which then took me down the rabbit hole of like well if i could make money another way would i still do this cuz i only do this job cuz i get paid i had a i had a pretty decent white collar it job and the people i worked with were good people i just wasn't fulfilled by the work i wasn't happy doing the work i didn't enjoy doing the work i was good at it and i started down this rabbit hole of is this all there is to life I mean, I, I have a home and a lovely family, and I'm making enough income to pay our bills. We didn't, didn't have a lot extra, but we had extra. We were doing better than a lot of people. Um, God's blessed us, and and we were making a decent living. You know, we saved up for the vacations we took, but it, we would save up for those, any big expenditures, right? We had to save up for and that's not unreasonable. But I started looking at my life and going, but I hate this. And so I started looking at what I, I wasn't happy about and started questioning is like, is this what I'm going to spend the next 40 years doing? Because based on what I've learned about money, stock markets, 401ks, I'm, I'm not retiring ever. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> believe retirement's going to be there uh, anymore. And so, and that's my personal opinion, not financial advice. I just, the 401k system is not meant for you to retire on. It, it's a great swindle. but. It's like, okay, so I'm going to do this for 40 more years. Can I grow in this company? Can I do something else in this company? What I, I make enough money. I don't have any other skills that make that kind of money. So I can't really transition to something else. And I started just down this rabbit hole of, is this where I want to be? Which transition into, if this isn't where I want to be, where do I want to be? And, and who do I want to be? Am I making a difference? I, I had this realization of, If as the trainer for my company, (laughs) they'll replace me tomorrow, which proved to be fairly true, right? I saw people come and go. I walked people off site, I hired people. And it's like, they don't care if I'm here. As long as somebody's here, they don't, they don't care if it's me. Therefore, they're not going to care what I do, or if I come and go, and they're not going to do anything special for me if I don't matter that much. And so I started waiting. It's like, I'm also not doing anything that like, I feel like I'm making a difference. I feel like I'm helping people. and cur- My job is insignificant to the betterment of the world. It doesn't even necessarily make my community better. It certainly doesn't make the world better. I, I get it. Somebody's got to do those jobs. My friend's in IT. He got me into IT. He loves IT. He's happy doing it. He's happy. It's great. I'm not. I did it because it made a paycheck. Honestly, if they had paid me more money to scrub the toilets, I would have gladly scru- scrubbed the toilets. I, I learned how to work hard. My first job was on a ranch, pushing cattle at 40 below, man. I, I have work ethic. I will scrub toilets if they pay me enough. I don't care. Whatever it takes to make my life work for my family, right? Give us the life we want. And so it was this dawning realization of, my life doesn't have meaning outside my family, I'm not making the world better. I'm not helping other people, I'm not making my community better. What example am I setting for my kids? Is this the life I want for them? Is this the life I want to encourage my friends? Like, because my wife is the oldest, I'm the youngest. And so I inherited three younger siblings when I married my wife after being the baby in my family. And now I'm interacting in their lives, like, this is what I want to encourage them to do. This is what I want to teach my nieces to do, is, is to just, you know, work the job and do what you can. Well, no, it's not. I, I left youth ministry years ago, and I had good days and bad days as a youth minister. And we were poor, because <laughs> they could not afford to pay me much. But my life had meaning it had purpose. I felt fulfilled. and It was an emotional roller coaster working with teenagers because you get to ride that roller coaster with however many teenagers you have. And I had like 15. And so I was I was on an All emotional right. roller coaster with 15 teenagers. You're up and down. a lot. It's crazy. It's hard work. And I loved every minute of it. I loved supporting them. I loved encouraging them. I loved helping them grow in their lives. And I felt like what I did made a difference. I thought years back to the ranch, my first job, I loved my job on the ranch. It's still one of the favorite things I've ever done in my life because I literally had feedback about what I was doing in real time every single day. Those cattle lived and died by me doing my job, which was huge. I was at work on Christmas Day happily because those cattle needed me to be there. Right. There was that instant feedback that my life had a bigger purpose and was serving something else. And I think as men, we need that. Right. We don't have the days anymore of conquering foreign worlds or discovering the whole new world, or right? we're not Magellan. We're not out conquering no. new unseen places. And men have that inherent need to change the world. We're driven to move forward like that. And so I started looking at my life and. It's like, well, what can I do to bring some meaning to my life? I still got to make a living. So, and that's when I started working on the book. I've been, I'd had people ask me for years about it. I'd had people kind of prod me at dinners, like my wife's friends and our our mutual friends going, I'm explaining the problems they're having with their relationships with their boyfriends or their husbands. I'm like, this is what's going on. Let me break this down for you. Like, you need to just write this all down somewhere. Decoding men. It's like, I don't want to decode men. <laughs> that's that's really not that complicated, but let me help you understand how to communicate with him better, right? And so that's where the, the book came from. The whole idea that started this whole mess was is like, I need to find meaning. I need to find purpose. Now, several years later, I utterly believe with all my heart that Men thrive when they align with their purpose. And your purpose doesn't have to be the money maker. I, I get that. That's okay. Your purpose can be a side thing. Your purpose can be a way you live your life. But until you align with that purpose, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to thrive. You're not going to be the best version of yourself. Once you start to align with the purpose that you were born for, I believe you have a lot of things in between, but we have one One major talos, like this is the end all, this is who I was born to be. When we start to align in that, then everything falls into a flow. Everything gets better because now we're living in alignment with what we're intended to do, what we're gifted to do, what we're inspired by, what motivates ourselves. Right. I don't have to motivate myself to get up and do my podcast or to write my blog. I mean, there are days it's definitely work, you know. But I don't have to motivate. I want to do it. I want to do it because if my ranting on a microphone helps one guy make his life better today, that's huge. That, that gives me a reason to be behind the microphone. If I can help one person become a better father, be a better husband, communicate with his wife better, connect deep, more deeply with their children, that, that's huge. And we live in a time where I can right. do that. It wasn't that many years ago where this was not a possibility, but we live in a time yeah. where my voice can reach that guy on the other side of the world who just needed that one word that inspired an idea and he took action.
2: That's right. Well,
0: so, there we are.
2: Yeah. You know, I believe that hundred percent. and. When you find your purpose, there's always going to be passion with it. And that's what the world needs the most is a lot of purpose-driven people with passion. Brent, I could go on for hours with you. It's always a pleasure speaking with people with a passion for what they're doing. Do you have a call to action for our listeners?
0: Uh, absolutely. You can hit my website at www.thefallibleman.com slash coaching. If, if I can help you, my, my coaching sessions are designed to be short-term it's six week or eight week power crunch sessions. I want to help you get over that next hurdle and then let you go again. You, you, you know, the direction for your life. So if I can help you get past that one stumbling block that's holding you back, book your free discovery call, let's talk. I'd love to walk alongside you and help you so that you can move into that next phase of your life.
2: And and what's the best way for them to get a hold of you through the website or an email address?
0: I am infinitely reachable. Uh, You can go to either of my websites, but the coaching stuff is at thefallibleman.com slash coaching. There's a whole page for it. You can also always reach out to me at infothefallibleman.com. At I'm at the fallible man pretty much everywhere except for Facebook, where I screwed that up because I didn't know anything about Facebook. So I'm at <laughs> fallible man, no, no, the at fallible man on Facebook. And I have a group there. We have a fallible nation private group there where it's a place for men to encourage each other, to inspire each other, to help each other, uh, as well as my page there and I'm at the fallible man like every, I have like nine social media so just whatever it is I think Snapchat's the only thing I don't do. I'm even on Pinterest. Uh.
2: <laughs> well, it, it's been a pleasure talking with you Brent. It, it's fascinating what you're doing and I really enjoy your content. Keep doing it. People need it. And we need to find more men like yourself. To push more of this positive content out. Thank you for being part of the Dead America podcast today.
0: My pleasure.
1: Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode. Dead America podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.